section twenty one of a collection of supreme court opinions by the united states supreme court this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. new york times company v sullivan three seventy six u s two fifty four decided march nine nineteen sixty four part one please note this is a reading of the opinion of the court only this reading does not include the syllabus or any concurring or dissenting opinions for ease of listening this reading omits legal citations found within the text of the court's opinion mr justice brennan delivered the opinion of the court we are required in this case to determine for the first time the extent to which the constitutional protections for speech and press limit a state's power to award damages in a libel action brought by a public official against critics of his official conduct respondent l b sullivan is one of the three elected commissioners of the city of montgomery alabama he testified that he was commissioner of public affairs and the duties are supervision of the police department fire department department of cemetery and department of scales he brought this civil libel action against the four individual petitioners who are negroes and alabama clergymen and against petitioner the new york times company a new york corporation which publishes the new york times a daily newspaper a judge in the circuit court of montgomery county awarded him damages of five hundred thousand dollars the full amount claimed against all the petitioners and the supreme court of alabama affirmed respondent's complaint alleged that he had been libeled by statements in a full-page advertisement that was carried in the new york times on march twenty ninth nineteen sixty entitled heed their rising voices end quote the advertisement began by stating that quote, as the whole world knows by now thousands of southern negro students are engaged in widespread nonviolent demonstrations in positive affirmation of the right to live in human dignity as guaranteed by the u s constitution and the bill of rights End quote. it went on to charge that quote, in their efforts to uphold these guarantees they are being met by an unprecedented wave of terror by those who would deny and negate that document which the whole world looks upon as setting the pattern for modern freedom End quote. succeeding paragraphs purported to illustrate the wave of terror by describing certain alleged events the text concluded with an appeal for funds for three purposes support of the student movement quote, the struggle for the right to vote 
end quote, and the legal defense of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., leader of the movement against a perjury indictment then pending in Montgomery. The text appeared over the names of 64 persons, many widely known for their activities in public affairs, religion, trade unions, and the performing arts. Below these names, and under a line reading, quote, we in the south who are struggling daily for dignity and freedom warmly endorse this appeal quote. appeared the names of the four individual petitioners and of sixteen other persons all but two of whom were identified as clergymen in various southern cities the advertisement was signed at the bottom of the page by the committee to defend martin luther king and the struggle for freedom in the south and the officers of the committee were listed of the ten paragraphs of text in the advertisement the third and a portion of the sixth were the basis of respondents claim of libel they read as follows third paragraph quote, in montgomery alabama after students sang my country tis of thee on the state capitol steps their leaders were expelled from school and truckloads of police armed with shotguns and tear gas ringed the alabama state college campus when the entire student body protested to state authorities by refusing to re-register their dining hall was padlocked in an attempt to starve them into submission sixth paragraph quote, again and again the southern violators have answered dr king's peaceful protests with intimidation and violence they have bombed his home almost killed his wife and child they have assaulted his person they have arrested him seven times for speeding loitering and similar offenses and now they have charged him with perjury a felony under which they could imprison him for ten years quote. although neither of these statements mentioned respondent by name he contended that the word quote, police end quote, in the third paragraph referred to him as the montgomery commissioner who supervised the police department so that he was being accused of quote, ringing end quote, the campus with police he further claimed that the paragraph would be read as imputing to the police and hence to him the padlocking of the dining hall in order to starve the students into submission footnote respondent did not consider the charge of expelling the students to be applicable to him since quote, that responsibility rests with the State Department of Education. End quote. End footnote. As to the sixth paragraph, he contended that since arrests are ordinarily made by the police, the statement, quote, they have arrested Dr. King seven times, end quote, would be read as referring to him. He further contended that the they who did the arresting would be equated with the they 
who committed the other described acts and with the southern violators thus he argued the paragraph would be read as accusing the montgomery police and hence him of answering dr king's protests with quote, intimidation and violence end quote bombing his home assaulting his person and charging him with perjury respondent and six other montgomery residents testified that they read some or all of the statements as referring to him in his capacity as commissioner it is uncontroverted that some of the statements contained in the two paragraphs were not accurate descriptions of events which occurred in montgomery although negro students staged a demonstration on the state capitol steps they sang the national anthem and not my country tis of thee although nine students were expelled by the state board of education this was not for leading the demonstration at the capitol but for demanding service at a lunch counter in the montgomery county courthouse on another day not the entire student body but most of it had protested the expulsion not by refusing to register but by boycotting classes on a single day virtually all the students did register for the ensuing semester the campus dining hall was not padlocked on any occasion and the only students who may have been barred from eating there were the few who had neither signed a pre-registration application nor requested temporary meal tickets although the police were deployed near the campus in large numbers on three occasions they did not at any time quote, ring end quote, the campus and they were not called to the campus in connection with the demonstration on the state capitol steps as the third paragraph implied dr king had not been arrested seven times but only four and although he claimed to have been assaulted some years earlier in connection with his arrest for loitering outside a courtroom one of the officers who made the arrest denied that there was such an assault on the premise that the charges in the sixth paragraph could be read as referring to him respondent was allowed to prove that he had not participated in the events described although dr king's home had in fact been bombed twice when his wife and child were there both of these occasions antedated respondent's tenure as commissioner and the police were not only not implicated in the bombings but they had made every effort to apprehend those who were three of dr king's four arrests took place before respondent became commissioner although dr king had in fact been indicted he was subsequently acquitted on two counts of perjury each of which carried a possible five-year sentence respondent had nothing to do with procuring the indictment respondent made no effort to prove that he suffered actual pecuniary loss as a result of the alleged libel footnote approximately three hundred and ninety-four copies of the edition of the times containing the advertisement were circulated in alabama of these about thirty-five copies were distributed in montgomery county 
the total circulation of the times for that day was approximately six hundred and fifty thousand copies End footnote. one of his witnesses a former employer testified that if he had believed the statements he doubted whether he quote, would want to be associated with anybody who would be a party to such things that are stated in that ad End quote. and that he would not re-employ respondent if he believed quote, that he allowed the police department to do the things that the paper said he did End quote. but neither this witness nor any of the others testified that he had actually believed the statements in their supposed reference to respondent the cost of the advertisement was approximately $4,800, and it was published by the Times upon an order from a New York advertising agency acting for the signatory committee. The agency submitted the advertisement with a letter from A. Philip Randolph, chairman of the committee, certifying that the persons whose names appeared on the advertisement had given their permission mr randolph was known to the times's advertising acceptability department as a responsible person and in accepting the letter as sufficient proof of authorization it followed its established practice there was testimony that the copy of the advertisement which accompanied the letter listed only the sixty-four names appearing under the text and that the statement quote, we in the south warmly endorsed this appeal end quote, and the list of names thereunder which included those of the individual petitioners were subsequently added when the first proof of the advertisement was received each of the individual petitioners testified that he had not authorized the use of his name and that he had been unaware of its use until receipt of respondents demand for retraction the manager of the advertising acceptability department testified that he had approved the advertisement for publication because he knew nothing to cause him to believe that anything in it was false and because it bore the endorsement of quote, a number of people who are well known and whose reputation end quote, he quote, had no reason to question end quote neither he nor anyone else at the times made an effort to confirm the accuracy of the advertisement either by checking it against recent times news stories relating to some of the described events or by any other means alabama law denies a public officer recovery of punitive damages in a libel action brought on account of a publication concerning his official conduct unless he first makes a written demand for a public retraction and the defendant fails or refuses to comply respondent served such a demand upon each of the petitioners none of the individual petitioners responded to the demand primarily because each took the position that he had not authorized the use of his name on the advertisement and therefore had not published the statements that respondent alleged had libeled him the times did not publish a retraction in response to the demand but wrote respondent a letter stating among other things that quote, 
we are somewhat puzzled as to how you think the statements in any way reflect on you End quote. and quote, you might if you desire let us know in what respect you claim that the statements in the advertisement reflect on you End quote. respondent filed this suit a few days later without answering the letter the times did however subsequently publish a retraction of the advertisement upon the demand of governor john patterson of alabama who asserted that the publication charged him with quote, grave misconduct and improper actions and omissions as governor of alabama and ex officio chairman of the state board of education of alabama end quote when asked to explain why there had been a retraction for the governor but not for respondent the secretary of the times testified quote, we did that because we didn't want anything that was published by the times to be a reflection on the state of alabama and the governor was as far as we could see the embodiment of the state of alabama and the proper representative of the state and furthermore we had by that time learned more of the actual facts which the and purported to recite and finally the ad did refer to the action of the state authorities and the board of education presumably of which the governor is an ex officio chairman end quote on the other hand he testified that he did not think that quote, any of the language in there referred to mr sullivan end quote. the trial judge submitted the case to the jury under instructions that the statements in the advertisement were quote, libelous per se end quote, and were not privileged so that petitioners might be held liable if the jury found that they had published the advertisement and that the statements were made quote, of and concerning end quote, respondent the jury was instructed that because the statements were libelous per se quote, the law implies legal injury from the bare fact of publication itself end quote. Quote, falsity and malice are presumed end quote. Quote, general damages need not be alleged or proved but are presumed end quote. and quote, punitive damages may be awarded by the jury even though the amount of actual damages is neither found nor shown end quote. an award of punitive damages as distinguished from quote, general end quote, damages which are compensatory in nature apparently requires proof of actual malice under alabama law and the judge charged that quote, mere negligence or carelessness is not evidence of actual malice or malice in fact and does not justify an award of exemplary or punitive damages end quote he refused to charge however that the jury must be quote, convinced end quote, of malice in the sense of quote, actual intent end quote, to harm or quote, gross negligence and recklessness end quote, to make such an award 
and he also refused to require that a verdict for respondent differentiate between compensatory and punitive damages the judge rejected petitioner's contention that his rulings abridged the freedom of speech and of the press that are guaranteed by the first and fourteenth amendments in affirming the judgment the supreme court of alabama sustained the trial judge's rulings and instructions in all respects it held that quote, where the words published tend to injure a person libeled by them in his reputation profession trade or business or charge him with an indictable offence or tend to bring the individual into public contempt they are libelous per se End quote. that quote, the matter complained of is under the above doctrine libelous per se if it was published of and concerning the plaintiff end quote, and that it was actionable without quote, proof of pecuniary injury such injury being implied end quote. it approved the trial court's ruling that the jury could find the statements to have been made Quote, of and concerning end quote, respondent stating quote, we think it common knowledge that the average person knows that municipal agents such as police and firemen and others are under the control and direction of the city governing body and more particularly under the direction and control of a single commissioner in measuring the performance or deficiencies of such groups praise or criticism is usually attached to the official in complete control of the body quote. in sustaining the trial court's determination that the verdict was not excessive the court said that malice could be inferred from the times quote, irresponsibility end quote, in printing the advertisement while quote, the times in its own files had articles already published which would have demonstrated the falsity of the allegations in the advertisement quote. from the times's failure to retract for respondent while retracting for the governor whereas the falsity of some of the allegations was then known to the times and quote, the matter contained in the advertisement was equally false as to both parties end quote. and from the testimony of the times's secretary that apart from the statement that the dining hall was padlocked he thought the two paragraphs were quote, substantially correct end quote. the court reaffirmed a statement in an earlier opinion that quote, there is no legal measure of damages in cases of this character. End quote. It rejected petitioners' constitutional contentions with the brief statements that quote, the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution does not protect libelous publications. End quote. And quote, the Fourteenth Amendment is directed against state action and not private action end quote. because of the importance of the constitutional issues involved we granted the separate petitions for certiorari of the individual petitioners and of the times three seventy one u s 
946. We reversed the judgment. We hold that the rule of law applied by the Alabama courts is constitutionally deficient for failure to provide the safeguards for freedom of speech and of the press that are required by the First and Fourteenth Amendments in a libel action brought by a state official against the critics of his official conduct. Footnote. Since we sustain the contentions of all the petitioners under the First Amendment's guarantees of freedom of speech and of the press as applied to the states by the Fourteenth Amendment, we do not decide the questions presented by the other claims of violation of the Fourteenth Amendment. The individual petitioners contend that the judgment against them offends the Due Process Clause because there was no evidence to show that they had published or authorized the publication of the alleged libel, and that the Due Process and Equal Protection Clauses were violated by racial segregation and racial bias in the courtroom. The Times contends that the assumption of jurisdiction over its corporate person by the Alabama courts overreaches the territorial limits of the due process clause. The latter claim is foreclosed from our review by the ruling of the Alabama courts that the Times entered a general appearance in the action and thus waived its jurisdictional objection. We cannot say that this ruling lacks, quote, fair or substantial support, end quote, in prior Alabama decisions. End footnote. We further hold that under the proper safeguards, the evidence presented in this case is constitutionally insufficient to support the judgment for a respondent. 1. We may dispose at the outset of two grounds asserted to insulate the judgment of the Alabama courts from constitutional scrutiny. The first is a proposition relied on by the state Supreme Court that, quote, the 14th Amendment is directed against state action and not private action, end quote. That proposition has no application to this case. Although this is a civil lawsuit between private parties, the Alabama courts have applied a state rule of law which petitioners claim to impose invalid restrictions on their constitutional freedoms of speech and press. It matters not that that law has been applied in a civil action and that it is common law only, though supplemented by statute. The test is not the form in which state power has been applied, but, whatever the form, whether such power has, in fact, been exercised. The second contention is that the constitutional guarantees of freedom of speech and of the press are inapplicable here, at least so far as the Times is concerned, because the allegedly libelous statements were published as part of a paid, quote, commercial, end quote, advertisement. The argument relies on Valentine v. Chesterton, 316 U.S. 52, 
where the court held that a city ordinance forbidding street distribution of commercial and business advertising matter did not abridge the first amendment freedoms even as applied to a handbill having a commercial message on one side but a protest against certain official action on the other the reliance is wholly misplaced the court in chesterton reaffirmed the constitutional protection for quote, the freedom of communicating information and disseminating opinion end quote. its holding was based on the factual conclusions that the handbill was quote, purely commercial advertising end quote and that the protest against official action had been added only to evade the ordinance the publication was not a commercial advertisement in the sense in which the word was used in chesterton it communicated information expressed opinion recited grievances protested claimed abuses and sought financial support on behalf of a movement whose existence and objectives are matters of the highest public interest and concern that the times was paid for publishing the advertisement is as immaterial in this connection as is the fact that the newspapers and books are sold any other conclusion would discourage newspapers from carrying quote, editorial advertisements end quote, of this type and so might shut off an important outlet for the promulgation of information and ideas by persons who do not themselves have access to publishing facilities who wish to exercise their freedom of speech even though they are not members of the press the effect would be to shackle the first amendment in an attempt to secure quote, the widest possible dissemination of information from diverse and antagonistic sources end quote to avoid placing such a handicap upon the freedoms of expression we hold that if the allegedly libelous statements would otherwise be constitutionally protected from the present judgment they do not forfeit that protection because they were published in the form of a paid advertisement two under alabama law as applied in this case a publication is quote, libelous per se end quote, if the words quote, tend to injure a person in his reputation end quote, or to quote, bring him into public contempt end quote. the trial court stated that the standard was met if the words are such as to Quote, injure him in his public office or impute misconduct to him in his office or want of official integrity or want of fidelity to a public trust End quote. the jury must find that the words were published quote, of and concerning End quote, the plaintiff but where the plaintiff is a public official his place in the governmental hierarchy is sufficient evidence to support a finding that his reputation has been affected by statements that reflect upon the agency of which he is in charge once libel per se has been established 
the defendant has no defense as to stated facts unless he can persuade the jury that they were true in all their particulars his privilege of quote, fair comment end quote, for expressions of opinion depends on the truth of the facts upon which the comment is based unless he can discharge the burden of proving truth general damages are presumed and may be awarded without proof of pecuniary injury a showing of actual malice is apparently a prerequisite to recovery of punitive damages and the defendant may in any event forestall a punitive award by a retraction meeting the statutory requirements good motives and belief in truth do not negate an inference of malice but are relevant only in mitigation of punitive damages if the jury chooses to accord them weight the question before us is whether this rule of liability as applied to an action brought by a public official against critics of his official conduct abridges the freedom of speech and of the press that is guaranteed by the first and fourteenth amendment respondent relies heavily as did the alabama courts on statements of this court to the effect that the constitution does not protect libelous publications those statements do not foreclose our inquiry here none of the cases sustained the use of libel laws to impose sanctions upon expression critical of the official conduct of public officials the dictum in Pennacant v florida that quote, when the statements amount to defamation a judge has such remedy in damages for libel as do other public servants end quote, implied no view as to what remedy might constitutionally be afforded to public officials in buharnes v illinois the court sustained an illinois criminal libel statute as applied to a publication held to be both defamatory of a racial group and quote, liable to cause violence and disorder end quote but the court was careful to note that it quote, retains and exercises authority to nullify action which encroaches on freedom of utterance under the guise of punishing libel end quote. for quote, public men are as it were public property end quote. and quote, discussion cannot be denied and the right as well as the duty of criticism must not be stifled end quote. in the only previous case that did present the question of constitutional limitations upon the power to award damages for libel of a public official the court was equally divided and the question was not decided in deciding the question now we are compelled by neither precedent nor policy to give any more weight to the epithet quote, libel end quote, than we have to other quote, mere labels end quote, of state law like insurrection contempt advocacy of unlawful acts breach of the peace obscenity 
solicitation of legal business and the various other formula for the repression of expression that has been challenged in the court libel can claim no talismanic immunity from constitutional limitations it must be measured by standards that satisfy the first amendment the general proposition that freedom of expression upon public questions is secured by the first amendment has long been settled by our decisions the constitutional safeguard we have said quote, was fashioned to assure unfettered interchange of ideas for the bringing about of political and social changes desired by the people End quote. roth v united states three fifty four u s four seventy six four eighty four the maintenance of the opportunity for free political discussion to the end that government may be responsive to the will of the people and that changes may be obtained by lawful means an opportunity essential to the security of the republic is a fundamental principle of our constitutional system End quote. Quote, it is a prized american privilege to speak one's mind although not always with perfect good taste on all public institutions End quote. and this opportunity is to be afforded for quote, vigorous advocacy End quote, no less than quote, abstract discussion End quote. the first amendment said judge learned hand presupposes that right conclusions are more likely to be gathered out of a multitude of tongues than through any kind of authoritative selection to many this is and always will be folly but we have staked upon it our all End of section 21.